Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Make Your Own Damn Podcast. I am Lucas Mangum, and I am here with Jeff Burke, as always. How you doing this week, Jeff? Oh, I am doing excellent. Excited to be here once again to talk about another, uh, I kind of argue, unfairly obscure piece of American trash media. Yeah, yeah, this is a film, um, uh, it's a, uh, I don't know, do we want to just get the title out of the way before we launch into it? Yeah, here, 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 let's get the title out of the way, and let me read the, uh, description on Troma.com. So right. today, we're just going to be discussing 1990's Death by Temptation, and the death in there is spelled D-E-F, and yeah, directed as in by... Def Jam. Yep, exactly. That's that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> Def Jam Records. There's no like that's obviously what they're referencing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, director directed and written by James Bond the third. Um, who he also stars here. in the lead role, I believe. Oh yes, yes, you're correct. He is the lead role in this movie as well. So written, directed, and starring James Bond the third, and we'll be getting into him a little bit as this uh, episode goes on. Oh, but good. He, I couldn't find anything about him either. Oh, I've got a whole bunch of shit about him. Hell yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, uh, here's a description from Troma.com. Samuel L. Jackson, Kadeem Harrison, Harrison? I think I'm pronouncing his last name right, um, and Bill Nunn star in this terrifying story of vampires and lust. A sexy female vampire is hell-bent on destroying Joel, a young student, through her powers of seduction. One by one, Joel's friends fall victim to her charms, leaving Joel to face a temptress and his destiny alone. Okay, pretty much every line of that is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, first, for, first off, it's not a vampire movie. It's a succubus movie. Yeah, which, I believe I believe she's I referred was, to as the temptress until later at the is, end. There's the reveal that she's a succubus. Yes, but this is a succubus movie, not a vampire movie. And yes, they are different things. Um, also, he's Joel's saying as a young student isn't really accurate in the context of the movie he's um correct me if i'm wrong but he's trying to become a priest which yeah. makes him in um oh well oh he my could God. be a seminary student thank you seminary yes yeah. but we but it should say young seminary students because young student implies like a college student right and when you add in seminary students that's a dramatically different context that's true because you know if you're um if you're a sexy, uh, you know, uh, succubus, you don't you don't have to um, deceive a um, young student into a young and college jo student into having sex. Uh, and but Joel's you might, friends. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, but it. you might have to trick a uh, seminarian. And Joel's friends are not falling for her charms. These are randos in a bar, which we'll get into, who are yeah. explicitly not Joel's friends. And finally, he's not left to face it alone. Specifically, the plot of the movie is him with his old friend, uh, Kay. Is that the name of his friend? 
it's not his uh, older brother or cousin or something. Oh, okay. I had to double check on this a couple times. My partner actually watched the movie with me, and okay. uh, she corrected me on because I referred to them as brothers as well when we were talking about the movie. And I was looking at plot details of it. I got confused. He's saying brother in terms of like the 90s black American sense. They are not oh. actually brothers. They're old childhood friends. Okay. And they grew up together in a very close-knit community. But they're not actually biological brothers. But they essentially consider each other their brother. I had mm -hmm. to, like, double-check this. And it's conf a lot of people are confused about it. But they are not actually biological brothers. Okay. The characters are not in the movie. Okay, um, they grew up together. And, but but yes, but the movie ends with them together facing off against this threat. So he's not left to left to deal with it on his own even though it doesn't all exactly work out which yeah we'll get, which we'll get into but pretty much every sentence from that description on trauma.com is incorrect and you know usually they're pretty good um you know except when they say that you know the first turn on came before porky's but uh that's yeah okay. that was just that was just straight up a lie we're yeah. on you trauma we see your shit we're calling <laughs> you out on it uh, I just um, lost any chance of us getting funding for Troma once again. Once again, once again, they were they were they were reconsidering after we did an episode with uh with Zach, but uh <laughs> now they're like now they're like nah, <laughs> fuck those guys. Damn it. Okay, so uh, Lucas, have you ever seen this movie before? I haven't. I remember uh, I remember the cover very distinctly. Um, I remember seeing it in uh. Hollywood video, I believe. Um, and I, I don't remember when I discovered it was a trauma movie. Um, but it was one of those I just never got around to. Um, there were a few, unfortunately. Um, but for whatever reason, I did not, uh, I did not get to this until um, for this show. Uh, how about you? Have you seen it before? No, no, I had not. This is my first time viewing it. Was for this, uh, for, was for this show, and uh, just like you, I remember seeing this on the shelves in the Hollywood Video when mm -hmm. um, I believe I mentioned previously on the show. One of my first jobs is actually working on a Hollywood Video, um, and I remember seeing this. Yeah, man, those were the, those were the good old days. Well, uh, I mean, I, I've got to take my hat off to any store that's going to actually have a cult classics section. Exactly. That was <laughs> that was I loved I loved working there as well. Maybe I've never mentioned it on this show. But, yeah, I, I worked at Hollywood Video for like two years when I was in high school. Nice. And it's probably my greatest job. Um, I actually uh, got offered my own store. No joke. But oh, really? I was about to go to college and it required me to not go to college and instead become a full-time manager of a Hollywood video, I believe in retrospect I made the correct decision. I think, yeah, I think, uh, I think history will be kind to you. <laughs> My college is still accredited. Hollywood video no longer exists. So... <laughs> made the right choice there but it's one of those what ifs on my life i look back on it's like i was legitimately offered my own store by the regional manager at hollywood video that would have been wild <laughs> I, I i loved working at a video store it was one of like my dream jobs it was fucking great the the pay was awful but we got free movies oh my god i watched so many free movies yeah yeah 
And you got to watch them before anyone else did because the store would get them in first. And as mm-hmm. the employees, you're allowed to take them home and watch them before the release date. And the yes. company even encouraged you to do that because on the first day they were on the shelves, there'd be people in asking, asking. what's this movie about? Can you recommend it? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. We might need to do a whole episode about our memories of working at Hollywood Video because I could definitely fill two hours of really funny stories of interacting oh, with yeah. customers at Hollywood Video. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, we got to put a pin on that. But, yes, I remember seeing this on the shelves while I worked there. And also as I was, like, collecting trauma DVDs and movies, um, this was always one of those movies that uh, that would – they'd have trailers for on like every disc. Like this was definitely something that trauma really heavily pushed and I get why they did. And I didn't watch at the time because not because I never got around to it, but because I always kind of wrote it off as kind of lame looking. It looked like their mainstream vampire movie is what I always thought it was. And it's not, um, Mm -hmm. But, however, I think a lot of the interesting things about this movie, especially about its making, its place in cinema history, and how this all deals with black America, would have been lost on me as a teenager. As a young horror fan. (laughs) Yes, yes. It would have been very much in the middle of backwoods Pennsylvania. Um, a lot of significance <laughs> of this movie and a lot of what it was talking about would have been completely lost on me. So this is a movie of like now visiting for the first time as a much you know more world knowledgeable adult. I think I got a lot more out of watching this movie for the first time now than I would have as watching it for the first time being um, a you know white male cis teenager in the middle of nowhere pennsylvania now wait a minute i've got i've got to ask like so you think that so so you you're saying there is like a uh a weightier theme about this movie not that there's a weightier theme but the very fact that this movie exists okay which, all right like um uh for one thing I, I've been trying to verify this, and I actually can't find anything to say that it's wrong, that the statement is wrong. The director, writer, star, James Bond III, uh, uh, promotes this movie as the first all-black horror film ever made. And I can't find that, anything to dispute that. I was um, going to say, that might actually be right. And he's talking about everyone involved on screen and behind the screen. And I think that's true. I can't yeah. find anything to dispute that. Now, there's probably somebody listening that's going to be like, well, what about Blackula? Like, that wasn't all black film, even just for the cast. And yeah. we're going to get into Blackula and black exploitation because I think that all builds mm. a big part of this. And I think this is actually like a, um, I have like a big thesis statement for our episode here. Cool. I think Death by Temptation is a really interesting example of from when uh, black entertainment stopped being uh, a subgenre of exploitation and becoming part of mass mainstream uh, American entertainment. Mm. And I think there was a couple films that fell into that segue 
And unfortunately, Death by Temptation has the distinction of being one of those forgotten entries. Probably because it's a horror film. Well, well, actually, my other examples I have are horror films. Oh, okay. It's just that this didn't have the money behind it, which the other ones that I have examples ah. for didn't. And oh, this okay. was an independent black production made on its own terms. And I think that is what yeah. that that in 1990, the only places they could find for distribution. And I found a... Um, a interview with um, from 2018 uh, from James Bond the uh, third talking about it that no film company no distributor would take on this movie other than trauma and that how this even became to be a trauma film is they hadn't fully finished um, post production and they needed more money and the director did not want this to be a exploitation film. He wanted it to be a mainstream film and that he believed that America was ready to have an all black horror film. Mm. And I don't, I don't know if he was right or not. Keep in mind, 1990 people that were like, I was only six in 1990. So obviously yeah. I was not like really have my finger on the pulse, but being from small town, white America, when I first started becoming aware in the late nineties, I don't think my small town America was ready for all black movies. So I'm not sure what they would have felt. And when I'm saying that, I mean like 99, 2000 is when I was really beginning to wear. And so I don't know what people would have thought in 1990. Uh, yeah. But apparently Trauma was the only one that backed him and saw uh, what he was seeing as an opportunity for new markets. That, now, yeah. now, wait a minute. I do see uh, – like I just wanted to confirm something because I, I saw um, on Wikipedia, which you know isn't always right, that um, before Trauma uh, distributed it, uh, Shapiro Glickenhaus uh, distributed it um, of, uh, of Frankenhooker and Maniac Cop fame oh yeah yeah yes yes um uh the uh i believe it is a i, I couldn't find all the details on this but trauma was connected from the film at the very beginning okay. so um the, uh, i'm sorry what was the other uh what was uh, the other shapiro glickenhouse it's the one that does all the head and lauder movies uh, thank you um, but I believe Troma put forward the actual production money to get the movie finished. Oh, okay. So right. it was kind of like um, a joint uh, project between various different companies that saw potential in this. Cool. Um, for anyone listening, I could be wrong on this, but in my research, that is the uh, most likely conclusion that I can come to with the information out there and oddly enough there's not a lot of information out there about this movie despite all the notable people being involved in it oh my god despite how this is actually like a gigantic cult hit um amongst uh black genre fans which when i was looking up this movie um like we exist now in a great world where people of all different backgrounds and all different perspectives are able to praise the works that really shaped them and really spoke to them. Mm -hmm. And when looking up this movie, there is so many American uh, black 
uh, nerds, genre fans, they all point to Death by Temptation as being one of their fundamental cultural keystone points. Like, this was a big movie for, quite frankly, people not like you and me, Lucas. Um, I feel like, in case it's not obvious, anyone listening to this, this is two white guys talking about this. So, um, please bear with us. Uh, I got a lot of positive things to say, and I'm trying to view it from uh, – I shouldn't say I'm trying to view it because I see it. I'm trying to relate some of the positivity I see from other groups towards this film, mm-hmm. which once again is something I would have not understood as um, a teenage child in backwards <laughs> Pennsylvania that now no. being in my 30s, I'm happy to take in this movie to be able to – um, it's something that you like to talk about what our focus is for this show to address these movies on their own terms. Yes, yes. Um, no, and I think that's important um, to to do that, um, especially with a film like this. Although I will say, um, you know, even as like, you know, a middle, uh, almost middle aged, Jesus, white dad. We are uh, middle aged. We are yeah. middle aged, Lucas. I'm sorry. It's true. Yeah. We are. Um, well, it depends on how y'all, how long we're planning on living, I guess. Okay, uh, in that case, we're both elderly. That's probably true. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, I, I found it to be a very fun film. I, as a whole, I enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. I will say this, my partner actually watched almost the entire movie with me. And she doesn't like – she can't stay on the couch for most of the films we watch for this for this show. <laughs> and she was engaged with this one. And yeah. um, so I, I, I found uh, – I thought it dragged in the middle. Let me say that. That's fair. No, that's totally fair. Um, it's not a long movie, but it feels longer than it is because it drags in the middle. Yeah. Um, so what else do you know about the distribution aspect of it? Because you, you said that, you know, like it was, you know, Troma, I guess, put up the production money. Um, and it was then, for post, uh, specifically post-production. Specifically post-production. Yes. Um, so do you know how it was handled between Shapiro, Glickenhaus, and Troma? Uh, or? No, unfortunately, I do not. I, I don't know that okay. differentiation. I do know that... Um, when it came time for its first home video release, it was on Troma. Uh, the VHS was distributed by Troma, and uh, I believe that Troma had a majority of rights to it for home distribution, just because this was always one of the movies that they were always pushing really hard. Yeah. And also, I believe it's because Troma recognized that they were getting a uh, black audience and they had something that could very specifically appeal to their black audience, which was something, especially a lot of genre fare in the eighties and nineties completely ignore, ignored any audience that wasn't straight white male mm-hmm. and really fucking smart forward thinking on trauma, which is one of those little things I like doing this show with you about and recognizing how forward thinking trauma has always been. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, you did mention, um, I mean, just like, I mean, it's incredible, like, how many people in this movie went on to do other things. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, do we want to go into that? Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, let's start. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's start like, there. Yeah. 
so for me, like the one that jumped out at me the most, I mean, even more than Samuel Jackson, believe it or not, was uh, Ernest Dickerson is the cinematographer on this movie. Yes. Um, so even if I hadn't seen his name in the credits, I probably would have guessed he had something to do with it because like he has a very distinct way of framing shots. Like um, what particularly comes to mind in this film is the um, uh, the first shot of the succubus's house. Um, it's like this low angle shot and it's kind of tilted. I, I don't know. Like it, it reminds me of, a lot of other work I've seen from him. Uh, can you speak on what some of that other work is? For... Yeah, so, yeah, of course. Uh, so he is best known for directing Tales from the Crypt's Demon Knight. Um, Fucking owns... great movie. It's one of my favorite movies. I revisit it often. That movie, <laughs> that movie holds up so well. Like, it, it is such a great, it's such a great, fun pure fun horror movie i would say it's it's got to be like top five 90s horror like in my oh opinion. Easy, easy yeah easy um he also directed bones with snoop dogg which was which like is underrated i agree i agree i actually just watched that um uh, fairly recently and yeah I, I think it holds up um spooky little film that's kind of a kind of a tribute to old black exploitation movies but also a horror movie um just a really cool vibe all around. Um, also, Never Die Alone with DMX and episodes of I The have Wire. I have seen that one. Yeah, it's, a, it's like an action film. Um, I oh, have not shit, seen it he either. Did the, he did some episodes of The Wire? Episodes of The Wire and The Walking Dead. Uh, oh, that is, wow. That is by no means a comprehensive list of what he's directed. Um, but also, as far as, as a cinematographer... Um, he shot multiple episodes of Tales from the Dark Side, including Word Processor of the Gods. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, um, famous yeah. adaptation of a Stephen King story, yeah. Exactly. Um, he, he, he shot uh, the Eddie Murphy comedy special Raw. Um, oh, shit. Wow, yeah. that, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. And a ton of Spike Lee movies, including the landmark uh, Do the Right Thing. So this guy Which has... Is which is what I primarily knew him from in my research was yeah. like, oh, he, he worked on, and there's a lot of crossovers with do the right thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is, there is. Um, so this guy's got a resume is, is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and that, that was, a, that was just a cinematographer that we're talking about. I, yeah. I mean, like throughout this whole movie, like this whole crew, like be in front of the screen and behind the screen is kind of like the who, what would become the who's who of New York City black uh, filmmaking talent. And a lot of this is, uh, should be of no uh, surprise, crossover a lot with uh, Spike Lee productions. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know how you feel about Spike Lee. I'm uh, a big fan of a lot of Spike Lee. Yeah, I uh, I haven't loved everything. Um, I also haven't seen everything. Um, but uh, I I love uh, the twenty fifth hour. I like I you know do the right thing and um, uh, I, I old. Like I argue, do the right thing is literally one of the best American movies ever made. Period. And if Spike Lee never made another movie, he had he already cemented uh, himself as a American a made man. 
like, American filmmaking genius on just do the right thing. And then, however, he went on to do like what 20, 30 or more movies. Yeah. And I'm with you on that. I don't enjoy all of them, uh, but a vast majority of them I actually like legitimately love. I, I like, I really love, uh, um, I, I like the ones you uh, mentioned. I also like to give shout outs to Malcolm X and mm. I feel severely un- underrated Spike Lee joint. Uh, Get on the bus is. I oh, I don't know if re- I've even heard of that one. It, it's about people making a bus trip to the, uh, the million man March. Um, oh, cool. And it's, it's actually a really, it's a really phenomenal movie. And for our genre fans, he did, I feel one of the best movies relating to serial killers even though it's not directly oh, about fuck. a How serial killer he did summer of sam yes. which i think is yes. a genius genre work which is dramatically underrated in our scenes people do not give summer of sam nearly as much attention as it deserves yeah no i mean it's it's that perfect i love i love stuff that's like um I call it horror adjacent where it's like um, a, a drama where like that the horror is like kind of this backdrop, you know, um, and and that 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 film is probably the best example of that, it's, it's, even though it's, you know, true as well. I always in my mind kind of group together and this may be silly and we'll see if you agree with me in any way on this uh, summer of Sam and David Fincher's Zodiac. I could totally see that. And that they're that. both about major serial killers, but it's not about the serial killers themselves mm-hmm. or even the murders, but about everything around those murders and how yes. it changes all the people the touched by – Yeah, how it changes community. And in my mind, um, though Zodiac is very much more based around the investigation and somewhere Sam is about how a community Common reacts – yeah. to it but i see them for some reason in my brain i uh always group them together i can't tell you why maybe uh, you know is it is it because uh son of sam and zodiac both wrote letters to the papers and it was like similar nah. era no nah, that's not yeah. it that's not it for me no but <laughs> it's i um i think it's just more of that idea of like a serial killer movie in which the serial killer is never in it yeah yeah it's probably like that thing that i think of but summer sam is so good i'm actually like i will say like i'm a big spike lee fan i really like spike lee um i don't like all of his movies but i appreciate what he's trying to do even at times that i think he completely miffed it um i'm sorry chirac did not (laughs) care for that one i i really wanted to love chirac i'm chirac frustrates me because i when i heard the premise of it i was like Oh, fuck yes. This is going to be the great Spike Lee comeback. I am so psyched for the movie. I saw it the week it came out, and I was like, that wasn't very good. The, he, also, uh, he also remade Old Boy, didn't he? Which I never saw. It's one of the yeah, only I Spike Lee it It's one of the only Spike Lee movies I haven't seen, and I just like pretend that doesn't exist. Um, no, I, I did enjoy Black Klansman. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much as most other people did, but I did think it was a pretty solid return to form for Spike Lee. It just, cool. it's just, I, I keep waiting for him. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, he still has in him another uh, do the right thing, Summer Sam, Malcolm X, get on the mm-hmm. bus. 
I got my fingers crossed for him because I think he's a really smart, talented filmmaker. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is probably my one chance on our show we'll have to rant that I like. I, I really like Spike Lee a lot. Well, I, w- I would put him in a class with, um, you know, uh, folks like Lloyd Kaufman and, and, and David Lynch and that he's just very like he does his own thing. He does what he wants. Like he's not. He's a pure artur. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 you go ahead. You, you, you go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say. So, um, yeah. Ernest Dickerson, you know, just an unsung hero of genre cinema, in my opinion, as well. Um, yes. Yeah, and he does the cinematography on this film. Um, so the obvious uh, big name to come from this film is Samuel Jackson. Yes. But this is not his first film. I, I believed for years that this was his first film. So did I, until doing research for this episode. Same. I thought it was his first. It is not his first. He has like a dozen credits before this. Yeah, so his first movie is 1981's Ragtime, in which he plays gang member number two. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, oh, and here's the thing about him I legitimately didn't know, um, like... And I don't know how because I love this movie, but he is a bit part in the beloved sequel, Exorcist 3. Um, oh, I had no idea about I, that. I, I, don't, I don't even remember, but he plays somebody called Blind Dream Man. Um, Whoa. Um, and, admittedly, I've only ever seen Exorcist 3 once. Yeah. And it was just because a lot of people told me that it was, like, really good. And I watched it, and I will agree that it is better than most part threes. However, <laughs> I still don't think it's a very good movie. That's fair. Um, that's fair, but I, I disagree. I like it. <laughs> fair um, enough. Uh, this is the end of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's over. All over Exorcist 3. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Samuel Jackson, obviously, he needs no introduction, but like he plays uh, Minister Garth in this movie, who is the late father to the protagonist. Okay, and you know what would have like saved this movie from it being a obscure footnote and made it actually into like a legit thing that would have stayed on for decades would have been if James Bond III would have cast Samuel Jackson as the as the character he plays. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like his first starring role. Like like you know, like or his, or yeah, like his major first major role, I guess. And I and I realize I'm saying that with like the benefit of retrospective, but I mean like um the acting in this movie is really fucking good. I agree. Um, the acting in this movie is way better than the vast majority of movies that we've covered on this show, and we will be covering on this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, pretty much almost everybody in this movie went on to be have, like, major acting careers. And one of the things that I do feel drags this movie down is James Bond III casts himself in the main role and yeah. he obviously had an eye for people who had talent with all the people he put in this and it's just like okay maybe if he didn't cast Samuel Jackson but if he would have used that eye for talent for the main role rather than putting himself in mm. 
I think this movie would have had a lot more longevity to it. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, he's not bad, but everyone else is it's just so that much better. good. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the, um, you know, uh, you know, if we want to stay on the cast for a bit. Uh, yeah, let's stay on the cast for a bit. Let's go sit- to because that's one of the most interesting things about this movie is it's crazy cast it has. Yeah. Um, Cynthia Bond, who plays the temptress, is a famous novelist. Um, now, her- now, I want to point out Cynthia Bond. Um, I cannot figure out – I tried digging into – I cannot find anything if she is related to James Bond the third. It doesn't say is- it on her Wikipedia page, but she might be. I can't find it anywhere, but I do find a gigantic coincidence that the last name of the filmmaker is Bond, and that, yeah. and that the main female role is another Bond. Yeah, but um, she had a uh, her she's only had one book published, but it was uh, it's called Ruby. It came out in uh, I believe 2014. Um, it was a New York Times bestseller and Oprah Book Club selection, and it garnered comparisons to works by, um, you know, no less talents than Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Toni Morrison. So that's, that's a big deal. Um, I don't know. That's fascinating, right? Like you, you go on to do these, like, you know, write these kind of like major books, but like her first claim to fame was the temptress (laughs) in death by temptation. I love that. And, And those things were separated by, um, uh, uh, 35 years. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, hey, there's still hope for all of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I also just w- want to point out a, like, little interesting thing is that uh, her cousin was Julian Bond, who uh, was um, the, uh, he found, he helped found the Southern Poverty Law Center, and oh, he served as the first president for almost a decade, and he was also the chairman of the NAACP, was her cousin. Oh, yeah. Um, nice. Like, her, uh, Julian Bond is actually, like, a major civil rights, civil rights. figure yeah. in United States history. And, like, that doesn't really surprise me that much that this movie has connections to act- actual, oh, not at all. legit, real-world political changes even though it's just like you know cousins of family members but that shows like where where these people who made this movie were were, were coming from yes yeah um yeah so who uh uh, what do we know about uh what do we know about james bond the third you said you had a lot on him um i i I would say i have a lot on i mean not yeah yeah but um yeah i i only saw like you know um he didn't have a, a Wikipedia page, but like I saw, like oh yes he does. Ma- oh, really? I have this. I have his Wikipedia page pulled up right pulled up right now. Um, pretty much, Death by Temptation was the end of his career in film. Um, he was a child star uh, before this. He was in uh, Wonder Woman. Um, he was in an episode of Wonder Woman, though that's yeah. not what he was famous for at the time. Mm-hmm. At the time, he had a reoccurring main role in something called the Red Head. I'm sorry, the Red Hand Gang, 
which was a ni- late 1970s TV series. I know nothing about it. I've never heard of it. But apparently he had a starring role in the series. And that led to him being in other things, such as Wonder Woman, The Waltons, um, BJ and the Bear, which, by the way, that is a TV series which its title name has aged horribly. <laughs> for, for anyone that's younger, like, like, like for any Zoomers listening, BJ and the Bear is not about oral sex with a large hairy man wearing leather. That is not what that is about at all. But uh, he was a child star in. Many, I, I think I just lost Lucas there. But um, he was a child star in like a child TV star, and he did a bunch of guest roles on a whole bunch of different things. And then when he was transitioning from that, he made uh, Death by Temptation. And I found like an interview from um, a podcast interview with him from 2018 in which uh, he essentially argued that he saw the potential for black audiences as being a target for Hollywood filmmaking and not just like black films about the black experience, but like black genre films. Yes. And and that's where he saw there being a big potential of and uh you know this is a this is a concept that i get hung up on a lot because i've also felt like in some ways at certain points in my own creative creative career i've been right there at the exact point when it was good to strike while the iron was hot and there's been other times i've been too early and the Mm. iron was still warming up and i feel he ran into the same issue that Death by Temptation, I feel, was a couple years too early. Because just after this, we have Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood. We have Candyman. Yep. And, and then we, 10 years later, we have Bones. Yeah. Uh, but that's still 10 years later. But, I mean, like, uh, Tales from the Hood and Candyman were just, like, two, three years after yeah. this. And they were known as kind of, like, being groundbreaking of starting to put a uh, black American experience up on the big screen and having it in, in, in terms of genre and ha- actually having it reach wide audiences. Mm-hmm. And this is what he wanted for this movie, but it never fully materialized. Now, since this movie, uh, a lot of people view it that he's kind of disappeared and uh, according to the interview I listened to with him, uh, let me pull up here. I have it pulled up. He uh, actually has two distribution companies. So he claims that since the 90s, he's been involved in uh, distribution companies. In terms of distributing what? I don't know because we're about to get into this here. He claims he uh, uh, founds and runs Underground Railroad Company. And also Solid Rock Pictures. Hmm. However, despite whatever internet searches I do, I can find zero record that any of these companies exist. They are credited on his IMDB as being companies. And he talks about them in his podcast interview from 2018. However, I cannot find any record of any of this whatsoever. So... What he's been doing from this is a goddamn mystery to me. Huh. He also, in the 2018 
uh, interview claimed that his he was getting back into filmmaking and his next project was going to be a remake of Death by Temptation, <laughs> which obviously has not happened. And I don't really feel this movie needs a remake. No. Like, I, and it's not like you couldn't improve on it. It's just like, I don't think there was anything really missed here that was like being offered. No, uh, but I, I, but I do think the, um, the market might be right for, for rediscovering a movie like this. I think it would as well. Yeah. I, I, I think there's definitely much like right now, especially with in, uh, genre entertainment, uh, there's a big thing uh, being heavily pushed by the fans, which is fucking great, about putting a spotlight on uh, creators and groups of people that have been overlooked in the history of this media that we love. Uh, Death Tem- by Temptation is like totally ripe for that same kind of spotlight. Uh, yeah. Here is this nor sex thriller horror from 1990 that was an all-black production and is just kind of disappearing through the cracks of history yeah you know you uh you mentioned the uh you know the middle it kind of you know slowing down a little bit and i was thinking about this a lot um as well like it it reminds the the film itself actually reminds me of a um extended episode of tales from the crypt oh my god i never made that connection but you're so totally right this is a tales from the crypt episode yeah like it's even got the moral component yes you know and oh yeah it's worth knowing that uh james bond the third in his uh podcast interview i listened to so uh this movie ends with essentially being a triumph of faith which I was like, oh, it's a little, almost a little Stephen Kingy in that, yeah, yeah, that idea. The end of it reminded me a little bit of Stephen King, how he's ended a lot of his uh, stories of right. the power of faith. Uh, James Bond III is very much a Christian and is very much a true believer. Yeah, no, I, I could tell by watching this movie. Like, I wasn't sure, but then I heard that confirmation in the interview, and I'm like, oh, yeah. yep, yep. So, so. Uh, so for, you know, we should, should talk real, I'm like, I don't know if we actually have or not, but anyone listens to me a bit, I'll should talk religion. And here's, here's a Christian horror movie for you, though. Yeah, well, yeah, Yeah, look, you can be, uh, you can be spiritual and anti-institution like me. Um, (laughs) um, yeah, so um, I, I I don't want to get away from uh, other like some of the other uh, people who are involved in this movie because I feel like there's even more. Oh yes, um, we we also have uh, uh, Kadeem Hardison Hardison Hardison. Uh, yep. God damn it! Yes, who is most famous as um, uh, fuck? Um, he he. Uh, do the right thing. Who's he? Um, yeah. Radio. Oh, um. Uh, Radio Rakim, oh, right? God, he was in a ton of shit. Um. Wait, no, he's not in Do the Right Thing. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm confusing. I'm confusing actors' names. You're thinking right of now. uh Bill Nunn. 
I'm sorry, I'm thinking Bill Nunn. I'm thinking yeah. Bill Nunn, who is Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing. Who yeah. is like the best, who is like one of the two, well, three, I'm like four, there's a lot of standout characters and Do the Right Thing. But yeah. here, I'm, I'm sorry, let, let's jump to Bill Nunn real quick since that's who I was accidentally putting Yeah, up let's do notes. it. I was putting up the notes for the wrong person. Um, who is Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing, which is like a, 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 um, uh, totally legendary American film role. And he was also in Candyman uh, Farewell to the Flesh. Which I just rewatched, and it's actually not bad. I disagree with you. <laughs> and I actually have, in the past year, rewatched the Candyman sequels, and I disagree with you. <laughs> He was also for the genre interest was in Quicksilver Highway, mm. which was a made made for TV movie directed by McGarris. That it was two, sh- it was two short films, one based on a Stephen King story, um, and called Chattering Teeth, and the other half of it based on a Clive Barker short story, The Body Politic. Yeah, and uh, starring Christopher Lloyd, uh, am, I, yes. am I right? Yeah. Yes, Christopher Lloyd was a star of it. Uh, he was in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, and that's just for the you know the genre fans. He's had a very long, extensive uh, film career. Yeah. Yes. So, so then the, the the now that we got my notes correct to pull <laughs> up um, uh, Kadeem Henson. Uh, he was he was like you know in the Cosby Show. Um, he was uh, I'm gonna get you, sucker. White man can't jump. Um, he was I'm, in I'm something just, called uh, Android Cop. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but that sounds glorious. <laughs> oh wow, it was an asylum movie. So uh, make of that what you will. He was in a Wu Tang Clan music video, which that's pretty fucking badass. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because we all know that Wu-Tang ain't nothing to fuck with. He was a recurring voice on the Static Shock uh, uh, TV show. I'm not familiar with that. Oh, shit. Static Shock? And see, this is like like uh, tying once again into like uh, black genre culture. Static Shock was a like one of the uh, first, like, if, if not the first, like, mainstream... Uh, black animated uh, superheroes. Oh, and, cool. And, like, for uh, people of color from our generation, this is, like, Static Shock is, like, one of the things that's pointed to of being, like, representation when no such representation, like, existed or even people were thinking about of such a thing. Um, nice. Admittedly, I never watched Static Shock. It was actually a little bit after my time, probably a little bit after yours. It aired from 2000 to 2004. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't really watching a lot of... That's when I was really getting into going out the uh, punk shows and um, into that time also getting into uh, drugs, parties, and yeah, I was going to say, basically just getting in a lot of trouble. But I was still watching period. Adult Swim all the time, so that was my cartoons at that time. So I missed Static Shock, but I was watching Aqua Team Hunger Force. Yeah. Oh, that logo is really cool. Oh, yeah. Static Shock, uh, like, like I, I've 
I've never really like watched the show, but I've seen lots of images from it, lots of little brief clips, and that like it looks pretty badass. Yeah, it's like very much in the vein of like um, Batman the animated series and X Men the animated series. It's, uh, it's like in that same vein. The good shit. The good shit. But 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 it had a black main character hero, which. Cool. Is like, you know, for anyone that's younger than Lucas and I listening to this, like, as shocking as it may sound, like, that was, like, unheard of in 2000. As yeah. late as 2000, that was, like, fucking unheard of. Yeah. Um, at least in, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, mainstream media, like, you know. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. We're talking purely in terms of mainstream media here. Yeah. Um. All right, who else we got? Um, I saw that uh, the the character, the actress who plays the grandma, is also uh, or was was somebody famous. She is she has since passed away. Um, uh, Minnie Gentry, did you uh, did you look up uh, her? Not in detail. Can you tell me anything about her? So a role that will probably appeal to genre fans. Uh, actually, I'll give you a few. Uh, there was. Um, Brother from Another Planet. Um, okay. And Bad Lieutenant. She's in Bad Lieutenant. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, but she was. Uh, yeah, she was an actress um, from the seventies into uh, the early nineties, and then uh, she passed in nineteen ninety three. Um, but yeah, that was. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, oh, and she was in a. She was in um, Jungle Fever, which is a Spike Lee joint, I believe. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. Jungle Fever, yeah. So, uh, but th- that was all the people I really had to highlight. Um, I know there were some more uh, notable people. Uh, Melba Moore, who uh, played the uh, psychic in the movie, was apparently a successful uh, singer during the time period, but she's... Essentially, you know, one of those many musicians that gets essentially forgotten as time moves mm-hmm. on. But she was very successful, had some charting songs. She also period. did the voice of one of the angels in uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Ah! Kids movie, movie fans. That movie traumatized many children. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> they fucking made literally a kid's movie about dogs dying. Jesus I know. Christ. Like, what the fuck? Like, isn't there a whole website dedicated to, to, to movies like does that? The dog, does the dog die? <laughs> does the dog die? Yes, yes, yes. There's a whole website immediately dedicated to avoiding... Um, those types of triggers for people and the front page of it should just be all dogs go to heaven. Don't watch this movie. Yeah. I have a friend. Um, she's younger. Um, and, uh, I'll show her like horror movies from our day, you know, cause like I'm at that age now where I can say like from our day. Um, and, uh, I showed her like, she likes most of what I show her, but I showed her the gate and I like completely forgot that the dog dies. And like, I know she's got a thing about dogs dying, and yeah, she was, she was a little, um, little upset. <laughs> oh man, my, my my worst version of that is here. Now we're going down a little tangent here, but my worst version of that is um, I had an uh, ex of mine, uh, wonderful person. I'm still very close friends with them. Great person. We just not work out romantically, uh, but while we were dating, she was a vegan, and. Um, I showed her necromantic and mm, I completely forgot scene. about 
the rabbit being killed and butchered on screen. Um, that was not, that they was show that like evening. over and over, don't they? Yes, they do. That was yeah, an awkward yeah. evening for us. That was an I awkward bet. evening for us. By no means contributed to our relationship ending, but I was just like, oh, I forgot about all this. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted yeah. to show. I just wanted to show you the scene of the guy ejaculating yeah. blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to show you the necrophilia. I had, I had no intention yes! of showing you, uh, you know, real animal death. <laughs> that is truly what was going on. <laughs> oh man, that's that's great. That's great. Um, okay, so we kind of went through like all of the uh, talent we had uh, involved in this film. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, like like what I also like have really prepared for is like the historical place of this. But I guess we should probably get through what the movie is first. Yeah, or yeah. our thoughts about the our thoughts about the movie. Yeah, I mean we kind of hinted at it a little bit, um, you know. Um, but uh, I really I enjoyed it. I thought it was like. It's a very simple story, um, and it's it's not afraid to kind of lean into its campiness, um, and I don't like all the death scenes, but I think some of them are really well done, like particularly the first one. Um, oh, oh, the uh, the first one. Oh, the first one with the guy running naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, which yes. I also want to bring that up is we get uh, we get some uh, we get some dong, uh, some slinging dong. Which uh, which I, I I mentioned that I watched this movie with my partner and my partner is 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 always the first one between the two of us to be like that's dick. Uh, she always loves watching for guys junk in movies. She's a big fan of that. And she pointed out to me that I did not realize it while watching the movie. And I did double check and verify it. This is going to be probably the only movie we will ever talk about which features full frontal male nudity and features no tits. I was going to say, like, the temptress the never gets naked. The most we get is we get an ass shot of her in one scene and oh, right. that's it yeah that's it we get female ass but that's it but we get full frontal male nudity in this movie yeah and i um, just i just found that interesting just because literally you never see that in no, a genre film no. and no. and like like it, it's like it was so used to putting the female body on display that it's so rare that it's like the male body is actually put on display and the female body is hidden. It's normally yeah. the exact reverse. Like think about how many ridiculous scenarios you oh, see God. in horror movies that have like the chick be completely naked and hide the guy's junk, which in real life that would never ever fucking happen. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but I liked the, uh, I mean, and I know it was done for budgetary reasons, but I still just, I I don't know. I always like I I just like stuff where it's like you see the blood seeping out from underneath the door, you know. This movie had a lot of that. I I kind of found a lot of its death scenes to be um, pretty underwhelming in all honesty. Like That's the o- the opening death scene, as you mentioned, 
the first guy that gets pick, picked up and taken back by the succubus is uh, pretty interesting and pretty well done. And then we get the, the scene in, towards the end of the movie with Joel, James Bond III's character, who gets eaten by a TV. Um, oh, yeah. I got to be honest. The last couple scenes in this movie kind of lose me. And not that I lose interest. It's just like I can't explain exactly what happens in those mm. scenes because the succubus apparently gains a whole bunch of powers that they never had before. Yeah. And, yeah, and so I didn't quite fully get what was going on. Um, That's right, and then he explodes. Yes, he gets eaten by the TV, and then the TV like throws up his innards. So the, I don't think that happens to Joel. That happens to uh, Kay, his buddy. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Am I mixing up characters here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joel is the protagonist. Okay, okay. So that happens to Kay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So that happens to Kay. Yeah, yeah. And then um, Joel survives the movie, correct? Yes, yes. He um so um so he does have like a weird like kind of uh dream sequence. Okay, at no, the you, end. you're you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm getting confused here. Joel survives the movie. You're right. I'm I'm mixing up. I'm mixing up things. Yeah. And then. I've seen a couple uh, interpretations of this when I was looking this up, and i got to be honest, I did not get it at all when I watched this movie. Is Joel supposed to be an incubus at the end of the movie? Is it Joel? I thought it was um, the uh, Bill Nunn character. Or, or, or Dougie. Um, yeah, I didn't really pick up on it. Uh, I but, missed that. Like, but, I mean, that's what Wikipedia says. <laughs> I saw some other reviews um, saying the same thing at the end. And I don't know if they're just picking up from Wikipedia, but I wanted yeah. to bring up to you while we were doing this episode to be like, I miss that if that was supposed to be at yeah. the end. Yeah, I don't know. So, so really what this whole movie is, is it's just literally a succubus picking up men at a bar, taking them home, killing them, and then there's a group of men that are starting to become uh, aware of what is... Well, it's all centered on 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 the, uh, you know, Joel, you know, because this is supposed to be his uh, final temptation before he goes off to become a preacher. Yeah, which is yeah. tying back to the Christian thing. Though, let's be honest, that's not really a big deal in the movie. No, it's it's an excuse to get some, uh, you know, some death scenes, you know. <laughs> yes, well, like like the movie, which is fine. Is, that is not a criticism, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but the movie is just about a succubus picking up men from a bar and then killing them. Oh yeah, which is the, probably uh, why, which is probably why my partner was enjoying this movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the protagonists arc is 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 very much the b story like it's it's yes yes the protagonist arc is the b story which yeah. is a bizarre thing to say but that's 100 percent true yeah yeah because yeah and it, it, like the rest of the movie is like kind of almost vignettes you know of just like yes. her picking up random people i mean they're they're you know they're more connected they're not like you know um they're not all separate vignettes but they're definitely like yeah, it's mostly just her, like, 
picking people off one by one, which is fine. And and the thing is, and that leads to like my main critique of the movie is that really around the midway point of the movie, it starts to become a bit repetitive. Yeah. Which is why I brought up the Tales from the Crypt thing. Like, I could see, like, this as, like, an hour or, or Easy. And, yeah. and just being incredible, you know? Like, just, like, an incredible hour of TV, of horror TV. And, um, and unfortunately, we don't get that. Yeah, we get and, 94, 94 minutes. And it feels, I, I must say, it felt longer than 94 minutes. Yeah, but not as not as long as uh, Surf Nazis Must Die. Though. Oh, no, no, I still picked this above Surf Nazis Must Die yeah, any fucking same. day of the week. Any oh, yeah. Easy, easy. Yeah. No, um, no, there was a lot of good things this movie had going on for it, and but it just makes it feel frustrating because the middle section, like, there's a middle 20, 30 minutes that is just, like, really bloated and tacked on. Because they've got to reach that minimum time length to get it screened in mm -hmm. uh, theaters. And um, uh, uh, the filmmakers decided to, in my opinion, run their wheels for the middle third of uh, of the movie. Like, like we, we get all that set up where we have the succubus uh, killing man in the first half an hour. And then the middle half an hour is just repeating that. And then we get to the last half an hour, which is when we start bringing in, like, psychics and also the idea that, like, like Joel, the main character, uh, comes from a family of preachers. And so there's this whole Christian idea of, like... Well, we knew about the preacher thing because the Samuel I mean, that's, Jackson dream in the yeah, beginning. That's in the beginning, but that doesn't really yeah. get cemented until, like, the last third of the movie, I'd argue. Right, right. Yeah, that's it's, it's like when it gets cemented and really make me part of the story of like trying to uh, corrupt a family of God, which is, you know, like very classic religious horror. Uh, yeah. 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 Um. And then uh, talk about the movie itself. I uh, uh, really liked uh uh, which, which, which was a character that uh, was the guy that was just trying to really crudely pick up women for the whole movie. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and striking out the whole movie. Just the and then entire we find film. Out, and then we find out he's an undercover cop and he's actually striking out on purpose. And he's just trying to keep an eye that yeah. he's aware that this woman is murdering men and... She just keeps taking men home and they never come back. Oh, what which one? Which, for one, I thought was, like, a great plot twist and a great character twist of, like, hey, this obnoxious, sexist guy, oh, that's actually all on purpose. And he's doing yeah. all on purpose. That, was, which I that is was clever. Really funny and clever. I loved his first bit where he's, like, he's, like, talking about being in a movie with Bruce Lee, and he's, like... Oh, oh Bruce Lee ain't dead. And he's still alive. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, that, that was good. That was really good. And then, and like, the other chick comes up and is like, is like, you told me you were a surgeon last week. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I do that on the weekends or something. Yes. <laughs> no, he says he's like, like I'm, a, I'm a kung fu surgeon. And yeah. Like, 
and we, which is actually like really great because in the context of the movie we find out that this is actually all a character he's playing and he's doing all this shit on purpose yeah and he's not trying to pick up any women but he's trying to keep this undercover thing out of the bar however he does has just been watching who either he believes is like a unholy monster or a female serial killer keep taking men out every night and then men never come back and he keeps letting it happen yeah <laughs> he's, he's not not very good at his job but uh, once again know. we keep coming back to acab i know i know i know it's it's something it good no no I, you know we even we even talked about it uh when we were talking about Richard Lehman before we even did this podcast, you know, the, uh, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Uh, there, that book we talked about, the, uh, uh, dark mountain, there's the scene where the, the, the cop is, she's taking pictures of the, the bite marks on the chick's breast. And she's oh, like, God, Oh, yes, these are good. Scene. Like, just like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> oh God. Yes. That scene. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, for anyone listening to this, know what we're talking about. Read Richard Lehman's uh, Dark Mountain. Uh, kind of fun book. We have a long discussion about that, which I recorded that one day we'll see the light of day. One day. One day. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> Maybe it'll just end up as a bonus for this show. That'd be like, here was the precursor to this show. Was us, like... Oh, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Because it kind of was a precursor to this show. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so, but yeah. So we had the cop there, which I did actually really enjoy that cop character. Once the twist was revealed, that he yeah. just wasn't a sleazy, um, chauvinistic man. It was all just an act, and he's trying to trace this woman who's killing all these men. But then I was just like, "You're you're still letting her kill all the men." Like, yeah. <laughs> You're not actually making anything better. Like, like what is he actually doing? Because, like, he's not, no idea. he's not trailing her to, like, find out if she's actually killing. She's just, he's just hanging out at the bar. He's documenting. So, apparently, he got, he figured out a really fucking sweet job at the, I don't know if it's sweet or not. It's maybe psychologically tormenting and damning, but essentially his job is every night to go out to drink beer, to put on the character and and degrade women, and then and then received a personal rejection for it, all yeah. while keeping an eye on a woman that they know is killing men and just documenting it, but doing nothing to stop it. That's the type of shit that leaves you some pretty severe PTSD, I believe. I would say so. I would say so. Um, man. Yeah. And then imagine if he, like, wanted to, you know, go out on actual dates. Like, he'd have to, like, really make sure oh he looks God, different. How would you even do that? Yeah. Especially when you've been training yourself all the time, like, like through your work day. To, to just lie. Be, to lie and be degrading towards women. Like, yeah. there's no way that that would not, like, come out in your personal life, no matter how hard you try not to, because... You have to repeat the script you're doing every day. Um, fuck, this is the guy's story. We should have been watching. The, the movie should have been should have been this guy. Oh, that's an int- that's interesting, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like with redneck zombies, where I'm like, I want I want to know about the fucking 
the weird shit going on in the chicken house, like when the guy delivers the moonshine. Oh, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Or well, they're watching footage of the chicken slaughterhouse, I guess. But. <laughs> well, I, I knew exactly what what part you're talking yeah. about. I was like, yeah, I want to know. I want to know their story, and in this case, I, I want to know the undercover cop story because that seems like a brutal, dark, yeah, uh, depressing story. Yeah, like even if yeah, either he has a home life and it's dark, or he's going out in the dating world and it's dark. <laughs> oh man, that, this could be like one of those like like, like really gritty uh, cop drama, like nineteen seventies cop dramas. Like. Yeah, yeah, or like a bad lieutenant kind of thing. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, a b- bad lieutenant, but with like a succubus. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> Which, if you just shifted the perspective of this movie, that's what this movie was. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, that's that could be really fun. Man. <laughs> uh, what else about the movie itself do you want to uh, point out or spotlight? I don't have a whole lot. Just um, I uh, I think it is a fun movie, you know, for the most part. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I don't want to give this away because this is this is my plug for later. So I will hold on to that. <laughs> All right. Hold on to that other thought. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind if we pause for myself to take another piss break? Yeah, and, no, not at all. I'll, I'll then, keep it rolling and I'll and just we'll, set it. And then, and then we can move past the movie because that seemed like a perfect breaking point because I got yeah. a lot that I want to talk about, like the historical framework. Of yeah, this. let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. Here, give me one moment. I'll be right back. Cool, cool. I think this is going really great so far. I am so thrilled. I, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm thrilled. I got so much more. I got so much more. And I'm really excited to talk about. Awesome.
All right. All right, cool. So, uh, uh, is that kind of our end of our discussion for the content of exactly what's in the movie itself? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I think we about covered it. I mean, like I mentioned before, it is a it's a pretty straightforward film, uh, pretty simple um, as far as like the story goes. Um, but you know, I mean, it's it's definitely got its moments. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can definitely talk about more of the behind the scenes stuff at this point. Well, it's not so much behind the scenes that I really want to talk about with this movie, but it's more of where this movie fits into the overall genre of film um, history that I think there's uh, no – I don't think anyone could argue against this, that this movie is in many ways steeped in what's called black exploitation. Yeah. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, uh, black exploitation and quote unquote urban horror, which is no longer seen as a very um, PC term, but it's what it was called in the '90s, which mm-hmm. I, I I kind of and and it's now mainstream, and I kind of view this movie as falling in a little transitional point between what we would call black exploitation and then urban horror and what is now just become just mainstream genre filmmaking. And yeah. I find that fascinating that this movie kind of shows a little bit in that, that transition, that transition happening over the decades. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I, I, I definitely see that because like, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's it kind of i don't know like i almost feel like if you um i don't know like i mean i guess it just in a lot of ways it just it felt like any late 80s early 90s horror but with like an all-black cast like it didn't and I, and I think you, you – I don't think that that can be, like, overlooked, and I think that has to be acknowledged just because of how unheard of. Now, yeah. I, I, I can't say rare because rare implies something that occurs just at a rare rate. Um, the uh, James Bond III claims – and once again, I, I'm I'm having a hard time repeating that claim – because I just don't know, but I tried looking it up, and I cannot find anything to contradict it, that this is the first all-black American horror film. Mm-hmm. And and then before this, we had uh, black exploitation that, like, I, yeah. I, I um, that we've uh, sung the praises of exploitation and exploitation subgenres on this uh, show already. So this is probably like our main chance to talk about black exploitation. Um, how familiar are you with like the black exploitation subgenre? Actually, before we, we go that for in case anyone that's listening that has no idea what I'm talking about, it may be getting <laughs> ready to uh, cancel me again. Um, black exploitation is a real subgenre of exploitation films in yeah. that the interests and the tastes 
of um, black Americans pre-1980s were so marginalized even in, in, in the entertainment industry uh, that making movies that featured the black casts and were targeted at black audiences was literally part of the exploitation subgenre. And yeah. that little segment of the exploitation subgenre was called black exploitation. Um, some of the most famous movies to come out of that include things like uh, Blackula, um, Turner. Uh, yes. Um, Isaac Black, Hayes. Uh, Black Caesar. Uh, Which, oh, uh, Min, uh, Mini Gentry from this movie is in Black Caesar. Yes, yes. I, I saw that looking up. That's right. That was another big connection we looked over. Yeah. Uh, Foxy Brown, Shaft, which Coffee. everyone knew. Which everyone knows who Shaft is, yeah. um, and then um, which has turned into a really serious uh, negative thing in modern years. But there is Man- Mandingo, uh, but that was also like part of the exploitation uh, subgenre. I really don't want to describe everything that that has turned into in recent decades. If you know, you know. If you don't know, I'm sorry. Um, of course, there was also Dolomite. Um, uh, there is um, – oh, oh, I'm going to get you, Sucka, which is uh, – wait, wait, I'm sorry. Well, that, that was later. That was that like was a later. parody. You're, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I, I, I scrolled a little too far ahead of my notes. Um, but uh, there was like a, a big thing of just making movies to direct a black – to direct them at a black audience was not considered part of mainstream filmmaking. And so that, that, that audiences, those filmmaking fell underneath, um, exploitation films, which Mm -hmm. was also really interesting that black exploitation is viewed as a branch off of race film. Are you familiar with race film, Lucas? I am not at all. Yeah, this is a like really obscure thing in American filmmaking uh, history that it's um, um, from. I don't know when people would actually judge it from happening, but from according to Wikipedia, it's viewed as happening from the um, uh, mid nineteen uh, teens to nineteen fifties, and it was an outside of the Hollywood system. Um, industry system completely removed from mainstream Hollywood in which it was black people making films for black audiences. And this was happening primarily in the Northeast of the United States. And what's really interesting here is uh, these are widely considered a lost part of American arts, American film history that there's documented around 500 or more different films that were made of this black filmmakers making movies for black audiences in the 19-teens, 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. And less of a hundred of them still exist to this day. Not so cool. (laughs) It's all lost media, which also shows about how much value our culture put in preserving works from marginalized people within our culture that most of this work is 
largely forgotten and lost. In fact, one of the main um, uh, things credited for even keeping remembering amongst film nerds like myself that these movies even existed was in the 1980s, BET, Black Entertainment Television, started actually in the 1980s, and in their early programming, they got the rights because they were able to get them from stupidly cheap money or just um, copyright just expiring, that they were showing these early black main movies for black audiences hmm. and um it, it's it's interesting looking into it um i can't find any specific genre related stuff and even the quote-unquote best movie um best known movies from that time period are completely unknown to the uh general audiences um I, I mean, like, even to, like, the film nerds, these movies are completely unknown. Like, to give some uh, titles here, The Green-Eyed Monster, uh, Within Our Gates, uh, The Green Pastures, Harlem on the Prairie, um, Cabin in the Sky, uh, Dirty Getty from Harlem, USA, Boy, What a Girl, Heidi Ho. I mean, these like none of these are movies that any even a casual film nerd has heard of. Um, uh, Scar of Shame is apparently one of the most film critic highly regarded of these movies. I've never heard of it. Uh, so these movies have essentially been erased from American culture. I'm sure there's a lot of these movies that especially when compared to the contemporaries had really valid uh storytelling filmmaking techniques to offer but yeah. that's a story from marginalized people in the united states of how their contributions get erased and ignored now black exploitation was that beginning to come back and the beginning to actually enter into uh uh, like mainstream uh, film interests in the United States because you had the black audiences going to see it because it was movies made by black, black people, starring black people, directed at um, black audiences. But then the white people were also starting to become hip to it. That's why we have the term black exploitation. And mm. of course, like the most famous example of it, I already referenced it, is uh, Blackula, which is actually a legit solid horror movie. Uh, yeah. For anyone listening that hasn't seen it, you, you like you may write it off as like something like hokey because of its title. It's only hokey in the context of it, the time period it was made in. But when you can put it next to any of its contemporaries it's a legit solid horror movie oh yeah um, oh yeah like i i, I like blackula i think it's a, a pretty good yeah. movie definitely um yeah so then, like, I, I like i like truck turner i like i like a lot of those movies man <laughs> i do <laughs> and so then like um the exploitation uh, style of filmmaking as a whole began to die out in the mid to late 80s as various aspects of it either A, got incorporated into the mainstream, or B, uh, just turned into pure underground fare. Yeah. And black exploitation, 
I personally argue actually started becoming part of our mainstream entertainment vernacular. Oh, and, without a doubt. And the two big breakouts of black exploitation, I personally argue from a genre fan, um, perhaps there's a non-genre uh, comparison, but as we've already talked about on this podcast, I am very highly educated when it comes to genre fare, not nearly as educated when it comes to everything else. <laughs> but for black exploitation in terms of genre breakout in the mainstream, we had Tales from the Hood and Candyman, which I argue forever change the horror genre in terms of opening up to what types of audiences and perspectives horror could on a mass level cater to. Yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I think death by temptation just missed it by both a combination of it just being a little bit too soon and a little bit too low budget. Yeah, you know, there's, there, you know, people like to say that it's it's good to be first. I don't think that's true. I think. Oh no, I have a big argument against that. I because I, I think it's good to be second or third. Yes. Um, because when you're first, like you're you're still the outsider. And I think death by temptation is pays the price for being first. I, I actually like have a, a, a big argument on that. And I, I don't want to go down that whole wormhole because that, that wormhole alone could extend this episode by another hour. <laughs> but I have a whole bunch of documentations of things that like I'm a guy that like I'm always hip on uh, like what's the new fucking weird thing that nobody else is doing. And what that means is I frequently get into shit before everyone else does. Now, I'm not saying that the things I like get popular later because most things I like never get popular. But when you're <laughs> like me and you just like into any weird thing you've never seen before, like out of every 50 or fucking things you like look at, one of those is going to enjoy some level of success. Mm-hmm. And, um, with those, and when I say those things, I don't mean specific creators. I mean, overall trends, overall styles. And I can point to so many times that I've gotten into a creator that was legitimately groundbreaking. And then there's somebody else who came just a couple of years later that did it in a much more digestible form who became a superstar yeah. But they literally, and they'll even cite it by name, took everything they did from this other person. And that's not stealing. That's just the nature of how arts work. Right. Is, right. Is that was the person who they didn't have to break the new ground. The new ground was already broken. Just no one was paying attention to the rubble. What did and they it was, say? Uh, steal like an artist? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's a famous Dali quote. Uh uh, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's the uh, do- do- Dolly quote, and which I very much think is phenomenal artistic advice if you're smart enough to understand what exactly that means. Yeah, yeah. And like in my own career, um, like uh, I have one of the best-selling Bizarro books. Uh, 
that was like ever really officially associated with the scene. And um, I was also held up when my book, Shat I'm talking about the book Shatner Quake, came out as one of the examples of this brand new thing called mashup media. Oh, Believe yeah. it or not, that was actually new at one point, and, and you weren't around then, Lucas, but I was getting no. written up in, like, the fucking Guardian in the UK as, as in an article explaining to people what mashups were. Oh, man. Now they you, were, uh, they were now you slum it with guys like me. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, but I was neither the first for mashups i was quite far from it and i was not in the first in the bizarro quite far from it but uh i was already totally into those scenes which no one had heard of at the time even mashup shit people had not heard of at that time and i was like oh i have this idea combining these things i think are cool with this other shit that i think is cool and when i took the stuff that was uh you know underground cool shit and presented it in a package the mainstream could understand i.e. William Shatner's acting career <laughs> uh, I enjoyed much larger success for a period of time than many of my influences did and I didn't do that conscientiously I never tried to steal their ideas I just had the right I was in the right place at the right time and I was being influenced by the right people and um I went down a personal wormhole there, but I do think it relates to this of uh, uh, there's uh, like other projects I've been involved in that I'm like, all right, well, I saw that mashup shit. Here's what the next shit's going to be. And I was years ahead of my time. And those projects fucking failed hardcore. <laughs> and then other projects that did similar things enjoyed success later. And then it's like, ah, uh, it's not always good to be first. As you no. said, sometimes second and third is best. And I feel Death by Temptation is kind of getting in that first positioning. Yeah. And the director himself talks about in the interviews that he saw that having a all-black cast, having it take place in the black community, have it appeal to black audiences was not a negative for the box office, but was in fact a positive and that no one believed him. And then I believe the years uh, saw him right. Yeah, absolutely. And even now to this day, like, uh, I, I figure like what we used to call black exploitation genre is only becoming more and more mainstream horror like Jordan Peele is one of the hottest new names in the horror genre in recent years oh, and I'd argue a, a lot of if not all of his filmography is in some ways uh, indebted to if not outright directly referencing black exploitation genre yeah I think you're probably right um yeah yeah i mean he's um i mean he's great dude i i mean i love us like and and of course get out is i mean already I, a classic I, I i have mixed opinions on jordan peele 
Yeah, I, I, I get adore, that too. I adore Get Out. I think Get Out is literally one of the best horror movies of the past decade. Um, like I, I think it's an absolute masterpiece of the horror genre. I also think it's underlooked in that it's a mad scientist movie. No one wants to give a fucking this. credit for that, but it's a fucking mad scientist movie. And how often do you see mad scientist movies? I love Get Out. Yeah. I thought Us was a mess. That's, yeah. yeah. I thought it both. We're disagreeing a lot this episode. We are. We are. <laughs> oh, this, the episode's going to end with Lucas and I fighting at the end of this podcast, just like so many other podcasts I've oh, listened to God. that I loved. And then, no, we can't do this, Lucas. We can't do it. <laughs> um. But um, but I, I don't think Us was a bad movie. I just felt it was structurally a mess. I thought it both over and under explained its concept, which is a rare, mm. rare dichotomy, which I've seen few movies ever pull off, and Us is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> if it would have explained a little bit more, I would have liked it. And if it would have explained a little bit less, I would have liked it. Oh, that's interesting. But it hit this sweet spot where it just it wanted to be surreal but realistic, but not lean enough into one or the other. And it's like if you would have leaned in one of the other ways, I really would have gotten bored. And this awkward middle ground, it just left me like feeling like what? <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Um... But I really appreciate a lot of his uh uh a uh, vision. Um. And really right now, I know a lot of people is like, like he's been involved in so many other projects, but he's only been involved in producer, writer levels, and that stuff goes through all these different layers of production levels. So it's hard for me to yeah. tell what is his and what isn't. And so I can only go by the two horror movies in terms of his genre work, his two horror movies he has out there. One I think is a goddamn masterpiece. And the other, I think, is a bizarre mess. But, but Jordan Peele would not be here if it was not for black exploitation filmmaking. And yeah. his success is also opening up for a lot more uh, black creators to get into the horror genre. Um, uh, and Candyman was just the first like number one box office hit by a black woman. Yes. First ever, not even just genre films. First, like first ever, ever yeah. Uh, number one movie in the box office done by a black woman. Which uh, have you seen the new Candyman? Not yet, not yet. Okay, um, my brief review of it is is visually it's phenomenal. It's one of the best looking modern horror films I have I have seen. Period. Like cool. You've, I, um, anyone that takes horror seriously, I cannot recommend it enough just for the visuals alone. Like Its visuals are really, really spectacular. And I would uh, argue that, that horror do, you know, can't, does tend to be a, an aesthetic genre. Oh, as, as, aesthetically, holy shit, um, does she like knock it out of the park? Um, it's Nia DaCosta. Thank you. I was just be like, I don't have her name pull up in front of me, and this is the first movie I've ever seen by her. So it's um, what was the name again, please? I believe it's Nia DaCosta. Nia DaCosta. Yes, thank you. Um, 
story-wise, which the script is co-written by her, Jordan Peele, and the producer of the movie who has no other serious filmmaking credits to his name, Uh-oh. which makes me suspect over it. Uh, story-wise, it's a bit of a mess, I felt. Oh, that's a bummer. I thought it brings up really fascinating ideas and kind of doesn't fully deliver on them. And, man, uh, uh, it would be a whole another two hours, but I have so many thoughts on the Candyman story. But, like, visually, oh, my God, dude, visually, it's 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 spectacular. It's really visually cool. spectacular. And I, 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 I argue if you're a serious horror fan, it's worth it at least just for its visuals, at least one watch. Easy. Nice. Nice. But, I mean, we had that, and then we also had, uh, um, like, we, we've had a bunch of uh, horror movies in the past couple of years now trying to talk about the uh, uh, black experience. I mean, the last Saw movie, in a lot of ways. Oh, oh, God, yes, which Spiral. would not have existed without Chris Rock, because Chris Rock is a gigantic Saw fan, it turns out, <laughs> and New Line only made a new Saw film because... Uh, Chris Rock. I think you mean Lionsgate. Oh, I'm sorry, Lionsgate. Yes, you're correct. I meant Lionsgate. Lionsgate only made a new Saw film because Chris Rock wanted to make a new Saw film. And what's it all about? Police abuse and killing minorities. And it predates the recent wave of uh, the. By recent, I mean past year and a half. uh, Yeah. Of protests and civil unrest and riots. And so this was what Chris Rock was thinking about a couple of years ago. That's right, because it was supposed to come out. Yeah, I, yes. I see. I'm like going off of the fact that it came out. It came out what not uh, like fairly recently, but yes. it it was supposed to come out long before that. Yes. Yeah. It, and it actually predates everything George that we've Floyd. been going through. Yeah. yeah, it predates all the George Floyd. Like I said, it predates all the protests the riots the civil unrest it predates that we've been experiencing it predates all of it yet it's directly commenting commenting on all that and it's doing it in the wraparound of a gore exploitation film yeah i mean it's yeah i mean it's yeah like the commentary is there but it is very much firmly a like I mean, it's torture porn. Like, it is a torture porn film. So, uh, so have, have you seen Spiral? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you like I loved, it? I loved it. I thought it was okay, a thank great you. time. I, I really enjoyed it as well. Everyone's I, been, like, shitting on it online. And look, I'm like, I thought it was super fun. Part of it, um, part of it was, like, you know, I, um, it's been so long since I've seen a movie like that. Like, I think it was, like, it just felt it felt fresh, you know, yes. how it was just the old is new again. And then, yeah, I liked uh, Chris Rock getting a chance to, like, they just let him be Chris Rock. Like, he was, it, like, it was the, and because of that, it was the first movie in that nine-film franchise to have a sense of humor. Um, and I, I, did, I thought people gave Chris Rock way too much in the movie, and I think it's firmly because people couldn't distance themselves from Chris Rock, like, the movie character Chris Rock, and then Chris Rock's also an actor. 
And yeah. like, yes, he did use like some humor in the movie, but like, I wouldn't say he was trying to be funny the whole movie. No. Nor would I say like he was trying to be Chris Rock the whole movie. Not at all. He was Chris Rock playing a cop character. And also, I just think it's so fucking amazing that the only reason the movie exists is because Chris Rock loves the Saw films yeah. that much. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's great. Okay, so we're getting kind of like pretty far removed now. But, like, one of the main things we're trying to point out here is this interplay that's still going on to this day of, like, black American creators, black American audiences, and its connection to the more um, purient side of horror filmmaking. And, uh, like, that's also where, like, creators of color have been, like, regulated where people would actually give them a chance. Like, it's, yep. it's only until recent years that you're actually seeing black creators in horror actually be giving a legit chance on a large scale to make, like, quote-unquote serious movies. Right. And, uh, like, like this, this, this history of how we treat black creators is so – the ramifications are still going to this very day. And mm-hmm. I feel like Death by Temptation is, like, a really interesting piece in that whole history. I agree. I agree. Um, Which made me really happy that we watched this movie for the show. Because I feel like some of my uh, knowledge of the genre as a whole has expanded a bit. And perspective has expanded a bit. Because this was somebody in 1990 trying to do what we're just now accepting in the 2020s. Yeah, and I would say for that reason alone, it's worth recommending. Yeah, Um, yes. You know, like, I think um, it is a... It is a fun film, um, you know, despite some of the flaws we pointed out. But I think, like, its historical significance, like, if you're serious about the genre yes. and not just, not just um, you know, genre films made by white dudes, um, like, it's a must-see. Yes, no, I agree with that totally. And um, I, I, I want to rephrase what you said there about, like, like like horse not just made by white dudes because i think that kind of uh uh downplays both the works by people of color and also uh works by white dudes i don't yeah. like thinking about it in that in that terms it, it's about how other voices need to uh, um other voices putting themselves in the genre and other voices gain opportunity to tell their stories from their perspectives. And this comes from all sorts of different backgrounds. And in mainstream American horror, we've, for most of the history, the only stuff that really gets highlighted is stuff from one specific type of white dude's perspective Uh, and yeah and that there's all these other voices i mean that's one thing we've been showcasing on the show is also all the poor white voices that are kept out of the mainstream discussion before and we've been highlighting them on like i think like uh uh death by temptation is coming from a lot of the same places as like redneck zombies that actually just pulled that one out right there 
Yeah. Uh, very marginalized voices giving their own perspectives with very uh, uh, marginalized crews. And one case of uh, economic, in one case very much uh, racial. Mm-hmm. And then all those things all have real value. And Troma was seeing that value and promoting that shit for decades that now mainstream Hollywood is trying to capitalize on and just cynically make money over. Yeah. And the more we do the show, the more I'm getting cynical about major mainstream Hollywood, I have to say. No, totally, because it's like, uh, you know, they're they're capitalizing or playing catch up, you know, depending on your point of view. <laughs> and uh, it's just, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, this is a film I would, um, uh, like, like, if you're just a casual viewer and you're just, like, looking for the best of the best, I mean, no disrespect to James Bond III or Death by Temptation, um, if you're just looking for the best of the best horror movies, you can probably skip this. However, if you're someone like me, this is serious nerd about the history of the genre and how the history of um, how various movements ebb and flow, how various influences come and go. I think this is a really fascinating, like, like must watch historical piece of that part of the transition from black exploitation into no one uses the term anymore, but I think the only way we can phrase it, what's going on, what happened in the 90s, is urban horror. Mm-hmm. And into now, we have do, – do we even have a term for what's going on right now with um, uh, the uh, black experience-focused I mean, horror films? You know, uh, I don't really think we do, do no, we? No, I mean we say it's like – horror by black voices but that's not really a term that's like yeah and that's a sh- and if it is that's a shitty term i i uh, I, I i campaign that like i'm not going to be the one to do it but somebody <laughs> out there somebody out there that represents like those types of voices needs to come up with a better term because there's, there's gonna be a good term out there for it yeah and yeah. and i feel like this is part of that transition period and it's also it's also like in a weird way when you step back and think about it, it's like i've been talking on this episode like it's part of American history as a whole that we see yep. about like just um, um, how America as a whole is changing, and really it's it's kind of for the good. Like we, we yeah. like there's lots of pr- fucking problems in our nation. There's lots of pro- problems in our culture, in our entertainment, but the fact of like we are keep progressing to integrating more voices and more perspectives. And that's some, that's something I am really, really behind on. But it takes the work of unsung heroes for generations. And I think James Bond the Third and Death by Temptation is um, one of those works of art. I agree. Um, yeah. No, that's well said. Um, what are we? Uh, what are we going to do next week? <laughs> Yes, I guess that's our episode here. Yeah, Um, I mean, I I can't think of anything else, and that's like, I don't know, like that was like a pretty good uh, bow on everything. I thought what you said. I felt when I I felt when I said that right there. I'm like, yep, and that's that's my final statement. Like, that's that's all I gotta say. Oh man, I don't know. Um, I was really surprised over this movie. I wasn't expecting to come away with like such big thoughts and big feelings over. 
over this movie. Yeah. Uh, but I did, and so I'm like, man, where do we go from from I mean, here? It's just yeah. It, what are you in I, the mood for? I feel I feel like I kind of picked this one because I was like, he, I don't, I don't know. Remember. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I do. I do have a movie in mind that I that I wanted to check out um, because I've always it's another one of those titles of trauma that I've just never seen. And I've always been like just really intrigued by it Ooh, okay. based on its name alone. Um, I want to I want to do Igor and the Lunatics. Oh, shit. I've never seen that one. That's another one I've never seen. Yeah. All right. Oh, so it'll be that. first time for both of us. Cool. Cool. Another first time for the both of us. Yes, hell yeah. I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of those, but that's 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 why we're yeah doing yeah this yeah show. like that's part of the fun. That's the show also for everyone listening. Thank you, God damn, so much for listening. It's incredible that we have so many people listening as we do. It blows my mind. It is. But, uh, it is. <laughs> the show's also giving us an excuse to like watch all these movies and as a, and I know you've been I, I I've seen you talk about this on other shows lately, Lucas. And uh, talk about online a lot. I can see this is something that it's a bee in your bonnet, shall we say, that <laughs> you get annoyed about a lot of film critique looking back on uh, movies from earlier eras and not taking them on on their own terms. Yeah. Yeah, it you know, I, it seems like everybody wants to be ironic all the time or something. I don't know. And it just, it just, it gets my goat. <laughs> I was thinking of the uh, Family Guy. You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I get, I, I get what you mean over that. It, it is, an, it is annoying, and I, I follow a lot of different. Uh, artistic critique outlets across all sorts of mediums and um, I know what you mean that like some people really just are either want to apologize for liking the things they like or want to hyper critique them in modern context and like I think like there's a thing that we're doing that we can critique things in the modern context, but we can also celebrate them of what they were doing in their current context. Yeah. And I don't think these things have to be exclusionary from each other. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, uh, I think it's unavoidable to, like, um, look at things in a modern context, you know, completely because, like, we are living in oh, modern oh, times. And and then also, I just want to make it clear, because I realized I was just thinking about what I just said, and just to make it clear, I also think it's just a invalid way is discounting any modern developments and modern contexts. Right. So right. only viewing things in its own historical bubble is also just as bad as only viewing things yeah. in its own modern bubble. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. But I guess that's a topic we should save for one of those um, uh, stand those discussion episodes we keep discussing that we're going to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so next episode is going to be Igor and the Lunatics. Hell yeah. Um, oh, I have no idea what this is going to be. I, I have, have no, no idea. I have, I have no fucking clue. We might, we might, we might get a blood-sucking freaks 2.0. Who knows? <laughs> or, or a 
there might be a Surf Nazis Must Die Part 2. I hope or, it is the or, former. Or, or thus far, <laughs> thus far, shortest episode where I was essentially like, I can't do this. <laughs> to be fair, you were at the actual beach. I mean, this is true. But if it was and, a good movie, I would have found time to talk to you about it. <laughs> Oh, that's great. All right, so... Uh, All right, so the end, end this episode. Uh, Lucas, do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, um, so, uh, you know, we spent this episode talking about um, horror made by black creators and starring, you know, either mostly or entirely black casts. Um, a recent one I really, really enjoyed that was not made by Jordan Peele um, with, you know no disrespect to Jordan Peele, um, is Bad Hair. It's on Hulu. It is fucking excellent. It is, um, it's about a, uh, woman who gets some, uh, is, uh, you know, her hair kind of, she gets these extensions put in her hair, uh, but it turns out that it is, that this hair is possessed and it's also hungry <laughs> for blood. And, um, it's just a wild ride. Um, the uh, it's it's shot. Um, it's actually shot the way it um, it like it, like it was made around the same time as Death by Temptation. Like I think it's like the film quality looks like 1989 um, film quality, and um, it also in the the last third of the movie it goes completely apeshit into some like evil dead Two, dead alive uh territory i can't recommend this movie enough if you have not seen it it's on hulu and uh yeah oh man i i actually i can't believe i forgot to bring it up in the episode but i actually had that in my notes for modern blaxploitation yeah. Uh, and I only saw this movie because of Lucas recommending it to me. I, I just was not familiar with it, and Lucas was telling me I needed to see this movie. And I found it, like, just back up everything Lucas said. Um, it's a really great movie. It's It gets really crazy. And what I thought that it was, like, really fascinating about it is that it is really based around um, uh, uh, black people's image in modern yes. mainstream white culture and fashion about that to such a degree that I actually ended up following up with uh, some people I knew that were more knowledgeable about such things than myself um, to ask some questions of like, so I saw this in this horror movie. Uh, I know this is referencing some things dealing with um, what black people experience with uh, hair, with fashion. Um, I didn't quite fully get it. Can you tell me more? And so, yeah. like, like, I've learned things about the black experience in modern-day America from that movie. And it's a, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. So, you know, I'm, I'm just going to back up your, recommend, uh, your, your plug for it because cool. I feel that's, like, totally relevant to exactly everything we talked about in this episode. And it's not a, a – like, this movie's not – getting any amount of the praise it should like this movie could easily appeal to a much wider audience and for some reason like it just i i guess it's because it's on hulu correct i was gonna say yeah like i think it's because it's on hulu <laughs> that's that's the reason it has premiere on hulu but yeah. bad hair really great modern day black exploitation flick Hell i yeah. really dug it 
Awesome. Well, you know, find us on the socials. I will not give our handles because Jeff trusts that y'all are smart people. Um, oh God, I hope I'm not wrong. Don't <laughs> prove me wrong. I don't know. We could use more Twitter followers than it might be because, uh, you know, uh, people don't know how to search for us. Oh, what is our Twitter handle? I think it's at Troma Fancast. Oh, yeah, that's it. Troma Fancast. That's what we are. Because I was like, I actually don't know what our... I can tell you. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. So this whole time, you were, you were telling our listeners they were smart, and it was because you just didn't remember our name. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that's tremendous. All right. People cover for me. Follow us on other places so I'm not proven wrong. Yes, please, please. We need followers. We're lonely. Um, all right, come back next week for uh, Igor and the Lunatics. Oh, dear God. <laughs>